Um, it was at the end of last year, I was seeking God about what is His theme for 2017. And I was praying and I was seeking God and, and I was driving home across Alfred's Point Bridge one day and the Lord dropped into my spirit the word one. I'm going, God, awesome, one, I got a theme, but so what? What do we, what do, we do with that? And as I continue to pray um, at the beginning of January, God, um, God dropped John 17, 20, 21 into my spirit, which says, and DJ's already read it for us, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you're in me and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You know, when we um, look at this passage, the uh, theme is around being one. And if you start to think about, well, what does Jesus mean when he says he wants his disciples to be one? What does he mean by that? Does he mean that he wants us to be tied up with cable ties or shrink-wrapped or drinking the same sort of stuff? Is that what he means or does he mean something more than that? And thankfully in the passage, Jesus tells us very clearly in verse 21 that all there may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Just as you are in me and I am in you. Friends, Jesus tells us what he wants when he says he wants us to be one and then he explains to us what that one looks like. He says the, the, the one that he wants within his church is the same oneness that we see between the Father and the Son, the triune God. And as we look at God, I want to suggest that there are many things in this relationship of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that makes them one. But I want to summarize it into two things this morning. The, the first thing I want to say about God is number one is that God is the God of love. Jesus declares His love for His Father in John 14. He's, he says that, um, I love my Father. And then in, um, at Jesus' baptism, the Father declares in the big voice from heaven, this is my Son whom I love. With Him I'm well pleased. And friends, this love that the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Father is an emotional love, but it's much more than that. It's about a commitment. It's about an honouring. It's about an encouragement that they have for one another. We see as Jesus walked on earth, we see him continually honouring his Father's will. And Jesus says things like, I only do what I see my Father doing. And then the Spirit in Luke chapter 12 is talked about by Jesus and says, and what he says about the Spirit, if anyone blasphemes the Holy Spirit, that's like, the sin that can't be forgiven. And the point I want to make is that that's this honouring that, that Jesus has of the Spirit, that they would lift the Spirit to that place where you don't mess with the Holy Spirit because He's, he's, he's part of the Godhead. He's one of us. There's this continual honouring where the Father chooses to honour the Son. In John chapter 5, he says, Jesus says that the Father has chosen to give judgment to the Son in order that all may honour Him. We see this continuing honouring and encouragement where the Father says of the Son at the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my Son whom I love. With Him I'm well pleased. I'm pleased with Him. There's this encouragement. And as we look at the triune God, we see this love, not just an emotional love, but it's behaviour where they honour and encourage, they submit, they show respect. The second thing about the, uh, the uh, Godhead I want to point out is that they are unified around their purpose. They together decide the way forward and then together see the outworking of that. In Genesis chapter 1, we, we are told 
where God says, let us make man in our image. Now at the time, they didn't know what us meant. But now looking back at Jesus and knowing the Spirit, we now know what that means, that, that, that the Godhead decided before the creation that they were going to create. And they were going to create man in God's image. And together, Father, Son, and Spirit, they went about that task. And then after the fall of mankind, when sin entered the world, the, the, the Godhead put in place their plan, which was decided before the foundations of the world to rescue humanity, humanity that Jesus was going to come to, to die on the cross to take our sin upon himself. Once the fall of humanity, they, they then put that plan in progress. And we see that through the Old Testament to the point of where Jesus dies, rises, and now they're still working together to, to, to achieve the fulfillment of um, humanity, to see God's kingdom come, to see the Father, Son, and Spirit honoured and glorified. F- for friends, we see in the, in the Godhead a oneness, a oneness of love and a oneness of purpose. And friends, Jesus says very clearly that that is the example that he wants for me and for you. That is the example, that is the ultimate, that is the thing that, that, uh, that Jesus says, look at this, copy this, act like this. So friends, as we look at the church, we look at the one church and we see, we see these two descriptions, again, of unity, love and purpose. In John chapter 13, Jesus says this, A new commandment I give you, he says, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must love one another. Jesus says to love one another just as God, Jesus has loved us. And in verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Friends, Jesus is calling us to love one another. And it's not just a gooey love and emotional love. It's a commitment love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Tim, it talks about how love is patient. That love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. This is how God wants us to treat each other. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Friends, love never fails. And friends, that is the example for us. And if you go on to the next scripture, which says back in John 13, in verse 35, it says, As, as you love one another, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. As we love, as we're patient, as we honour, as we encourage, as we're not in it for ourselves, but we're in it for each other, people will notice. Our church will notice. Your friends will notice that you are a fair income follower of Jesus because of the way you treat people. And it's not just the church will notice, but the world will notice. Everyone will notice. They will see something in us. They will see the relationships that we have. We'll see the honouring, the love, the respect, the lifting up, and they'll go, wow, what is that? And we get to witness Christ because of our love for one another. We get to witness Christ because of our love for one another. And so there it is, friends. That is the one. When, when Jesus says he wants his church to be one, we are called to be one in, because of love, as we love one another. But we're also called to be one in our purpose. And friends, God has called us to be unified around our purpose. And for this year, our theme is one where we're talking about we just talked about love. And we're going to talk about a few, th- few other things in a moment. But to be unified around purpose means to be unified in, in the same direction. You guys did some building blocks and you all wrote your names on them. 
And, uh, and hopefully you, you, you picked a colour and a size that sort of made a little bit of sense to you. I don't know, a bit of fun there. And, and, and the idea is that as a body, we're all different. Different shapes, different sizes, different colours, different nationalities, different passions, different gifts. And God puts us all together and calls us His church. But if we're going to be unified, we need to get unified behind a common purpose. And back about eight years ago, God spoke to us about what He wanted LifeGate Church to be. He spoke to us from Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, which says, When Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom from the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That's what God spoke to us about all those years ago. And in that, we, are, we are see Jesus' purpose, that His purpose was to proclaim and bring freedom to, to the world around him. And friends, that is the vision of our church. We've, we've got Luke 4 and we, and we created it into a sentence. To see people live in the freedom and the purpose that Jesus offers. To see people live in the freedom and the purpose that Jesus offers. To live in freedom means to be free from your sickness, free from sin, free from oppression. And to fulfill your purpose is about fulfilling the calling God has for your life. And we've underpinned that, that vision with some values. Our values are, who knows what they are? Get real and take action. Well done, good job, number one. Get real, take action. And, and these values underpin our vision because if we're going to get free, if we're going to live in the freedom that Jesus has for us, the first step is to get real about who we are as a church. Not, and not only as a church, but as individuals. Who am I? What are, what's my baggage? What's the stuff that's holding me down? And the second thing is to take action to get free from that. If we're going to be deliberate in fulfilling our purpose, we need to get real about what the purpose is. God, what are you calling me to? And then take action to see that purpose fulfilled. Our, our theme this year of one isn't a, isn't a new vision. It's simply our theme, which helps us achieve our vision that, that, that God's called us to. And friends, if we're going to be a unified church like Jesus talks about, I encourage each one of us to get on board with the vision to see people live in the freedom and the purpose that Jesus offers, to grab a hold of our values. And as we talk about one, our theme for the year, grab a hold of the stuff that's a part of that and make that deliberate in your life. Choose freedom. Choose the purpose that Jesus has for you. Let's all rally behind that as, as that's lived out through life groups and children's ministry and youth ministry across the church. Because as we're unified, as we're unified, we become one and we achieve the thing that Jesus wants for us. Now, I've talked about the how to do love, um, the how to do one. Let me talk to you briefly before Matt sings. Why we are one. Why we one is because of what God has done for us. Why we one? Because of Jesus' death for us and then he offers us forgiveness. We're one because of his blood that's been poured out for each one of us that washes us clean of our sin. We are one because just as Jesus rose from the dead, we are new creations in him. We are one because we have the Spirit of God living in us. It's because of the Godhead and what the Godhead has done for us that we can call ourselves Christians, that we can call ourselves Christ inums, Christians, people who belong to God. And as people who belong to God, God wants us to be one and unified through love and unified through purpose. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that all unity.
may one day be restored and they'll know we are Christians by our love by our love yes they'll know we are Christians by our other we will walk hand in hand we will walk with each other we will walk hand in hand and together we'll spread the news that God is in the land and they'll know we are Christians by our love by our love yes they'll know we are Christians by our other we will work side by side we will work with each other we will work side by side and we'll guide each man's dignity and save each man's pride and they'll know we are Christians by our love by our love yes they'll know we are Christians by our love Father from whom all things come and all praise to Christ Jesus his only son and all praise to the spirit who makes us one and they'll know we are Christians by our love by our love yes they'll know we are Christians by our love Maddie. I asked you guys to build a, a, a tower, not such a tower, it's more of a city with uh, little houses and big cities. Just imagine, friends, that if the, if the Godhead decided they weren't going to be one. Just imagine when the uh, Godhead was together and they didn't show the love that they have, that one of them said... Well, I don't like that. You've hurt me there, and I'm not going to forgive you. And you're, uh, and they hold on forgiveness in their heart, and there's this separation within the Godhead. Now that's never happened, praise God. But imagine, like I don't even know what that would look like. But then about purpose. How about if, if they weren't unified in their purpose? Well, what if the Father said, "Hey, Son, Jesus, I want you to die for humanity," and the Son said, "No, I'm out." And the Spirit took sides with the, took sides with the Son and not with the Father, and the clash. Imagine the catastrophic catastrophic effect that would be on humanity. We can't even begin to imagine, can we, what that would look like? But then, friends, to a much, 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 much lesser extent, what happens when the church isn't one? What happens when someone hurts another? And that, that's, not, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, because we're people and we're going to hurt each other. So it's part of the journey. But where it goes wrong is that if we hold on to that hurt and we don't say, hey, you hurt me, and then... This, what's the stuff that builds up? Resentment. Resentment, thank you. Resentment builds up. And then we tell someone and they take our side. And then two people look at this person who's hurt them and then it becomes three and the word spreads. And, then, and they hear about it that these people are against them and the word spreads. And what happens? This love just goes out the window. This bitterness and the place can easily, it can easily fall apart. And so friends, it's vital that we're one. 
It's vital that we are unified around love and how we treat each other. And it's vital that we are one around our purpose to be all that God wants us to be. One last thing I want to say is from John 17, 20. Jesus says, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Friends, here's another picture of one. Jesus says, I want the, the church to be one, just as the Godhead is one. And then he says, may they also be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. May, there is this oneness between us and God that, that, that God desires. There's this intimacy that, that God wants from us through prayer, through worship, through, through, through knowing him personally that our, that our God desires. Now, Jesus isn't talking about unbelievers here. Because he's, because he's already said that those who believe in him through the disciples' message, these people are already Christians. And he prays that these Christians would be one with God, that, that they may be in us, that they will be close, that we will be tight, that we will be intimate. Because the reality is you can be a Christian and you can be far from God. You can be a Christian and be doing your own thing and, yeah, you believe, but you're not close. It's Jesus' desire that you're close with him. It's Jesus' desire that you're intimate with him. It's Jesus' desire that you're with him. And so this year, as we focus on loving each other, encouraging, respecting, honouring, forgiving, all that stuff, as this year, as we talk about purpose and being unified around the purpose that God has for us, let us also be intimate with God. Let us be a people who are passionate about Him, who desire to open His Word, to seek His face, to pray, to spend time in worship through song, speaking in other languages, speaking, praying in the Spirit, the people who are close with God. For that is what he desires for us. To be one is love. Love each other. Be unified around purpose and be one with God. Our theme for this year. These things help us achieve the vision that God has given us. Amen. I'm going to invite the band to lead us in a song. It's a song called Salvation Tide. And in verse 3, it speaks specifically about this one church that God desires for us. So one of the things we want to talk about over the next years is generations. And when I say generations, I'm thinking about our children, our youth, our children, and their children, and their children, because God is a generational God. He looks across the generations. I spoke this message. Can I click up, please, Carlos? I spoke this message um, maybe five months ago at LifeGate Church, and I believe it was a really, a really powerful message around Hezekiah. Who remembers the message I preached about Hezekiah? Hands up. Three people, excellent. Thank you for the encouragement and support. In, in 2 Kings chapter 20, Hezekiah is, is about to die. And Isaiah the prophet comes in. Who, is it coming back to you? Yeah, yeah. Who remembers the message I preached on Hezekiah? Oh, yeah, that makes me feel better. Thanks for the encouragement. I got thrown by the PowerPoint in the first one. I'm feeling much better now. You've really encouraged me. It's good. Um, Hezekiah is about to die. Isaiah says, you're about to die, get your house in order. And Hezekiah says, no, it's not okay. You praise to God. God, heal me. Isaiah comes back and says, you're going to be healed. 15 more years, celebrate. Awesome. Now, it was so good that the, that the son of the Babylon's king comes and says, congratulations, brings this gift. And Hezekiah says, let me show you the kingdom. So he shows him the kingdom. He says, look at my treasure. Look at my city. And there was a massive issue of pride. And as a result, God says, because of your pride, you're going to be punished. And this is a punishment. This is the punishment. He says, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace 
and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away, and they'll become eunuchs in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. Awful. In other words, because of your sin, your treasure is going to be taken to Babylon. Your descendants are going to be taken to Babylon as slaves. And this is what Hezekiah says. He says, the word of the Lord you've spoken is good. How, and I said in that message, I'll say it again, how is it good? How can Hezekiah say it's good when the property, the treasures, and the descendants are going to be taken to a different nation? How is that good? It's not good. When Hezekiah was going to die, he cried out to God and said, God, do something. And the kindness of God, he gave him another 15 years. How can he say this is good? And then we read, for he thought, Hezekiah thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? In other words, it's not going to affect me. It's not going to happen in my lifetime. So I don't care. And we all said, what a douchebag. What a buffed, what a turkey. Remember those words? We had to censor some of those that some of you guys said. No, we didn't. And so he wasn't thinking, he wasn't thinking generationally. A bit like the drama which showed us what the opposite of one. This is the opposite of generations. Hezekiah wasn't thinking generationally. He's only thinking about himself. So the, so the question I have for us this morning is, what sort of experience do we want our children to have of church? When they, when they experience church and we teach them about Jesus and God, what sort of experience do we want them to have? Our youth, our children, their children, their children. What sort of experience of Jesus, of God, of church do we want them to have? For me, I just think that I want them to thrive. I want them to think, wow, my, my, my children, Sunday's coming. It's going to be awesome. Friday night, youth ministry, it's going to be great. We want young people to be um, passionate about Jesus. We want young people to, be, to, to, to know God intimately. We want young people to be, to be free from the baggage of life and fear and struggle and free from their sin. We want young people to be passionate about serving God and loving God and fulfilling God's purpose for their life. Is that what you want to see for your children? Yeah, it is. And so if we don't talk about this, we'll just go along and we'll hope it happens. But if we talk about it and and we're deliberate about it, we can create places and resources where the generations to come can flourish if we're deliberate about it. You know, if you're in your 30s, please stand up. Please stand up. In your 30s. Please stand up. Wow. Colleen, how old are you? Are you 40? 29. All right. All right, so we have um, our, a person who runs our worship ministry. We have our campus pastors. We have elders. We have service leaders. We have another, one of our young adult leaders and our worship leaders. And we, I can't say that just yet. We have another elder over here. We have um, people who were running uh, kids' ministries. And Amy's involved with the worship team, people involved in children's ministry. Sit down. So thank you, guys. Give yourself a clap. Most of, our, mo- most of our key leaders are in their 30s in our church. Is that positive? That's positive. The problem we got with that is if our key leaders, if our 30-year-olds continue to be our key leaders and they get older, and, 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 if, and if our key leaders continue to, and if, if they get older, this is going somewhere, when they get older and if they continue to hold the authority and hold the leadership of these roles, we're going to hold it and we get older and older and these guys... These generations to come 
may not have the opportunity to step up. So what I want to suggest is that us 30-year-olds and older, we've got to get out of the way so that the generations can come and take on these roles and become leaders in God's kingdom and flourish. So one of the key things is about us thinking about generations. What can we do to impact? What can we do to resource, mentor, disciple, train, equip, release the generations to come? Let me tell you a few things that we're doing. We have 15 teenagers being trained in children's ministry in our church. 15. They go in as assistant leaders. Con has youth that they are youth trainee leaders. We're being deliberate about that. In the worship team, you'll see kids on playing instruments and people on, on the computer. We were giving kids the opportunity to um, thrive. Our, our youth leaders continue to talk about mentoring. Who are the young people that we are mentoring, that we are speaking into their life? That's a big thing for us. The children's leaders are thinking about who are the, who, who are the young people that I'm speaking life into? Because one of the things we want to do is through people, through relationships, is to encourage the next generation to, ri- to rise up and to hand to them and release to them authority and responsibility so they can grow and flourish and they can stand on our shoulders. We do it pretty well, I think. Let's see them do it better than us. Better than we could ever dreamed, better than we could ever hope. Let's see them stand on our shoulders and do it even better. Exceedingly abundantly, Ephesians 3.20. So that's what we can do. But I want to also suggest that we need to create resources and facilities for that. I want to suggest that we need to create resources and facilities to do that. We have um, inherited buildings. So if you're part of the Padstow campus, 1954, some wonderful people gave finance out of their own pockets and they built that front room. And then in 1970, Mr. X dug holes, foundation holes, and gave finances yeah, towards this building that we have today. Now, the Padstow building is pretty run down, isn't it? And we're thinking about getting rid of it, and we are going to, it's going to go, it's just time. We're talking about redeveloping the eight stories, but we, we as an eldership think that may not be the best way to go. We're talking about another, another idea, which I'll share in a moment, and which I'll talk more about on the vision night. But we, are, we are need to do something with our facility because it's run down now. But if we don't do anything with it, and, and if our children inherit it, which they will, and their children inherit it, what sort of facility are we leaving them? Are we leaving, leaving them a dump? Or are we leaving the facility, a facility where they walk in and go, wow, this place is cool. I want to be here. This is the place I want to invite my friends. This Liverpool building we've inherited, it's been here how long, Dennis? 1980, a bit over 20 years. It's pretty good still. But there's things that need to be done. If you look down at the carpet, has anyone noticed? We need new carpet. There's, we have put in new TV. We've put in new projector. We've put in lights. There's, there's, there's things that we need to do to get it up to a standard, and we're doing it to get it up to a standard so the uh, generations who follow us do not inherit buildings that are dodgy brothers, but buildings that are like, wow, this place is great. And you know what? God is calling us to be part of that. God is calling us to be part of that, to create resources and facilities where the next generation, the generations can come, can flourish, where they have technology, where they have places they, they want to be and they want to invite their friends. And so having said that, we're going to take up a generation's offering. First time we've ever done this. And it's something that we're going to do every year for the next, how long? I don't know. And we as an eldership talked about it, we prayed about it, and we believe it's right. We're going to launch it today, which I'm doing. But on the 26th of March, we're going to take up an offering. And the offering is going to be for, it's a generation's offering, and it says what it's for. It's creating resources and facilities for the generations to come. 
TV screens, new carpet, that upstairs room, the empower um, and, and arise, what we can call empower, empower kids go up there and it is like an oven. We need an air conditioner for that room if these kids are going to want to be at empower. You know what? Arise and empower is our high school ministry on a Sunday morning. And I reckon that is the, one of the most vital ministries that we got. The kids who, who, who parents bring, and our leaders get to invest in them. They get to teach them the truth about God. And not just head knowledge, but this is the truth, but what do you do with it? How do you live this out? And we're building these kids into being outstanding leaders, arising in power, some of the most important ministries of our church. And that room where they meet is just an oven. We need an air conditioner. There are things that we need to do, and, we, and we've got an itemized list. I'm going to hand it out on Tuesday night at, at the night. But here's the number. Ready for the number? A bit scary. $60,000. Is that a lot? You can do the numbers. There's 200 adults in our church, $60,000. We as an eldership believe in this so much that I said to the guys, friends, if we're going to launch this vision, if we're going to say we want to give to the generations, if we want to raise 60 grand, we need to give first. So I said, go talk to your wives. I said, and talk to God. <laughs> anyway, talk to your wives, talk to God, pray about it and say, God, what do you, what do you want us to give? And we talked about it for a while. Then we sat in my home. We ate pizza together. We had a day of fasting. We had a day of prayer. A wonderful time. It was a wonderful night in my home. Then we ate pizza and celebrated. And, and then I asked the guys to get a bit of paper. And they wrote down their number. And we stuck it in a little thing. And one of the guys read it out. And Mark Shume and Dave Hodges were part of this, as well as the official elders. And the number came back at $10,000. So we as the elders are going to give $10,000 out of our own personal money, not church money, personal money, to this. Why? Because we believe in it. Because we're committed to it. We want to say that leaders go first. And I can't ask you to give if I'm not going to give. We're not going to give. Yeah? We're going to ask for $40,000 to do stuff in buildings, create facilities, and we've got an itemized list, which I'll give you on Tuesday night. But we also want to put $20,000 toward a seed offering toward a, a, a new thing out west. God spoke to me um, when, I, when I first started leading this church in 2008 from Joshua chapter 1. I think I have it here. It says, after the death of Moses, that was the pastor before me, not that he died, but that's how I saw it. He finished up. It says, Moses is dead. Now, now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. That's a scripture that the Lord gave me back in 2008 when I started leading LifeGate Church. Now, when I got to the the, uh, Jordan River and get the people ready, I didn't know what that was about. It's zero clue. Nothing. Nothing. But I can understand the next bit. Be strong and courageous. Later on, it talks about stand on the word of God, trust God, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. And I did that through a difficult season. And then March last year, as I was going back to this passage, God said to me in the shower, imagery, sorry about that. I was praying about this. And and God said to me, Nathan, the George's River is the Jordan River. Or the Jordan River is the George's River. And I went, no, that's weird. That can't be right. Weird, wacko, ate too much peanut butter for breakfast or something. So I, I contact Beck, our prophetic gift person, and I said, Becky, I think the Lord has spoken to me. I didn't tell her what it was. Did I tell you? I didn't tell you what it was. I said, can, can you seek God and see if it comes back? 
And she comes back with the same thing God is saying about the other side of the river. And then when we met at the Moorbank House, there was this thing about river. I believe, we believe as an eldership team that God is calling us on this side of the Georges River. That doesn't mean we're leaving Padstow. We're still going to have a facility in Padstow. That's the two and a half tribes. But the other nine and a half tribes, what? Wow. Oh, wowing. I thought you corrected me. Was it one and a half, two and a half? The other nine and a half tribes are going to be on this side of the river. You got the idea? This is this, is this side of the river. It's the start. And, we are, and, and, and the dream is to purchase, here it is, purchase a block of land out west where the farms are before the houses come in. If you talk to Hillsong Church or Inspire Church, these large churches who have land, and they bought many, many years before the houses came in. I want to show you a picture. There's a picture of Sydney. Now, you're not going to see it very well. Here's Padstow, where the red dot is. Preston's is Liverpool's here. Preston's is somewhere here. I can't see it very well. Somewhere around here. There it is, Preston's. We're here, right? Here, this is where Sydney's going to go. Badgerys Creek Airport, right there. So we want to buy something. What are you laughing for? It's so cute. Thanks, Ange. We want to buy something here. We, we, we don't know where. We're going to seek God. But we're going to buy farmland, something, a large parcel of land. So, for, so for generationally, we're thinking that we can, when the houses move in, we've got a, already a large parcel of land. And then over time, we raise funds and we build a massive, awesome, God-honoring facility that can service the generations that are going to move out there. That $20,000 seed is not going to go very far. So one of the ideas is to not redevelop Padstow, and this is the reason why. It's worth about $6 bucks. We can buy a, a factory, um, a smaller factory for about 3 or $4 million, buy a factory for 3 or $4 million and get that $2 bucks, and go buy the farm out west. You like it? And then we can, two million bucks would be enough to get a decent parcel of land. And then over the years, over the generational giving in March each year, we start to buy car parks. And then we start to build children's facilities. And we start to build auditoriums so that people can come to know Jesus. That the generations can come, can come, I offense the Spirit of God, the generations to come can live in the freedom and the purpose that God has for their lives. Think generationally. What do you think? A bit stretchy? Think generationally. Can we pray together? We're going to pray. Just where you are, friends, just start to pray. Commit this day to God, everything that's been said around one, one love, one purpose, one with God, but also around the generations. Just where you are, let's just start praying about that. Pray that God will align your heart with that. Pray that God will stir you to be part of that. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we commit this day to you. We thank you, God, that you spoke to us about one and from John 17 that you want us as a church to be one. One in love, one in purpose. And the example that you gave us is, in the, is, in the, is, is with you, the triune God. And you've also called us, God, to be one with you, which is around intimacy. Father, I want to... God, we've also launched this dream about generations. And Father, we want to pray that you would stir this in our hearts. And God, as we, as we prepare for this offering, God, that you will be stirring us. And this isn't um, the normal offering. This is over and above our normal giving. Just make that clear, because otherwise we won't be able to pay our pastors and I won't eat. So this is over and above our normal giving. God, that you would stir in our hearts what you want us to give. 
so that, so that the generations to come will flourish, that we will be able to create resources and facilities for the generations to come so that they may know, know Jesus and fulfill the purpose that God has for their lives. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name.